Welcome to A Brief Chat. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 218 for December 24th, 2021. On today's show, I am putting together episodes 155 and 156 from June of 2020. These were two interviews about the Sami people. And they were each about 15 minutes long, so I'm going to stick them together into one episode. This is one of my favorite episodes from the past life of this show, and I hope you'll enjoy it too. If you'd like to support A Brief Chat, go to patreon.com slash vanarchism. You'll get early access to every episode, plus a monthly bonus show. This month's went out yesterday. I'm thanking a Patreon supporter by name on each episode. This week, my thanks go out to Kat from Tucson. I'm recording this in State College, Pennsylvania. I'm here through the new year and enjoying some time with my kids. My son is home from college and my other son still lives here. So we're getting a chance to spend a lot of time together, which is fun. And uh, along with my co-parent, I have finished the last, probably last, large road trip of van life. Uh, went from here to uh, Albany, to Vermont, to the Rochester area, and back here again. After the new year, I'll be moving up to Albany and looking for a job in an apartment and settling down to a more normal life. Still keep going with the podcast, though, so uh, stay with me here at abriefchat.com. Now let's dive into these Encore episodes. Nilas, can you start by telling us who the Sami people are and where in the world you're located? Well, we are in um, Scandinavia and Russia. We, our territory, the traditional territory, is divided in four different uh, national states. It's Norway, Finland, Sweden, and Russia who have made the borders themselves and colonized us in about the same same way. The Sami people are uh, indigenous people in the, in the north. In a way, our people were very primitive people, not in, uh, not in the way of, uh, of thinking about primitive in, in the normal sense. Primitive people uh, means that we were the people who respect it and, and live to hold nature, the natural resources. And the main resource for our people were the reindeer, which we uh, are herding. And today there is, uh, of course, not just the reindeer herding. Our people are colonized. The worst thing about the colonizing is that we lost our traditional spirituality, which were very important to keep the way of living what we believed in and what we lived off. The spirituality was the way to protect the nature with very, very high respect for the land and for the animals and also for each other. But when the colonizers came, they came with the Bible in one hand and a bottle of alcohol in the other hand. And then they uh, have uh, destroyed our culture. And now they are also destroying our land. 
by putting up huge windmills for electricity. They have already made lots of uh, hydropower dams, roads, power lines, mines, and they're also planning to start uh, polluting our fjords with mining waste, poisonous uh, mining waste. As an American, and recording a show that will mostly be heard by Americans, I think many people will hear you speak and will see a lot of similarities between the story of the Sami people and the story of the indigenous peoples here on the North American continent. Do you think that's a, is that a fair comparison? It's absolutely fair comparisons. You can compare the indigenous people from the whole globe and the history is still the same. It's in Russia and uh, North America and uh, everywhere. Gabriel, I want to turn to you for a moment and ask you how you became aware of the Sami people. I mean, I, I consider myself reasonably well-informed, and I read a lot about indigenous struggles. I read a lot of, you know, left and anarchist literature. And when your book came in the mail, it was a complete eye-opener to me. I mean, it was as if there was an entire part of the world's history that had been erased and I had never heard about before, and I was amazed as I read it. So I wanted to ask, I guess, how you became aware and decided to write this book. I, I knew about the, the Sami people growing up, although I didn't grow up in, in the north of Europe. I grew up in the center of Europe, in in Austria. But I think that being in Europe, there is probably more general awareness or knowledge about the existence of the Sami people. And I say about the existence of the Sami people because this is about as far as that knowledge goes. So people know that the Sami people live, are the indigenous peoples, people of the far north of Europe, but they don't know so much more. Um, so in, in my particular case, so I, I, I knew that um, then growing up, so I grew up in Austria, I left uh, the country in the mid-1990s, and by then already had a general interest in indigenous uh, peoples, and so I, I went to um, the United States, uh, actually to Arizona, where I think you're located now, yes. to, to um, get some more insight into the situation uh, among the, the Navajo and Hopi nations, and then I did some traveling there um, around the country. I went to the Pine Ridge and other uh, places of interest. I spent some time in Australia and New Zealand. And, and then I returned to Europe in the early 2000s and ended up in Sweden in 2007, and I've been living here since. And so once I moved to Sweden with that general interest in indigenous peoples as a background, I used that opportunity very early on to travel up north, travel to Sápmi and learn more about um, Sámi culture. Now, at that point, I never thought um, of doing um, a, a book. I felt that, I've, I mean, I'm approaching this as an outsider. I felt it wasn't really my place to write about indigenous people. But then over the years, there were different factors that played into it. I looked at the English language market of books about the Sami people, and there are some great books, but a lot of them are uh, academic studies. They are hard to get. They're expensive. So I felt there was kind of, I guess, what you're describing, a book that you could 
I give to people that's affordable, fairly easy to read, and, and provides a general introduction. And I felt that because I had an established working relationship with PM Press, the publisher that was interested in bringing out such a book, I could make a contribution uh, to spreading more knowledge about the Sami people. Then there was still the question of how to do the book as, again, an, an outsider. After talking to people from the Sami community I knew and, and whose opinions were important to me, I settled on the format that I was using, which is that the book is, is mainly based on interviews with Sami artists, uh, activists and scholars. That's about two thirds of the book. Um, Nilas is one of the people I interviewed. Um, and then I contributed an, an introduction, which I call a short political history of Sapmi, just as a, as a background historical information for uh, uh, readers. Nilas, you have been very involved in the fight for justice and recognition for uh, the Sami people. And I wanted to ask about how you got involved in that fight. Yeah, as 11, 11 years old boy, I ended up in a hospital, which was a a combination of old folks house and a hospital. In the 60s, uh, Norway was still a very, very poor country with the healthcare run of missionaries. And there I ended up in the same room as my grandfather, and I'm very happy for that. He taught me lots about um, spirituality and um, that part of the Sami culture. And after that, I got involved in the hydropower dam protesting uh, camp. In, uh, it was uh, a hydroelectric uh, dam called Alta, which became a very big uh, case in late 70s and and 80s. And uh, that was the first time the Norwegians also became aware of that the Sami people are uh, colonized by by the Norwegians and and robbed of all the rights to the land and water and and we uh, then uh, made a hunger strike in uh, Oslo that was in 1979. And in that way, we became uh, in, in touch with the Norwegians and lots of Norwegian young people joined us with this uh, protest. And indeed, we made uh, the streets of Oslo, which is the capital of Norway, to boil that time. There was lots and lots of very good young Norwegian people who were, in a way, very ashamed of their uh, history of colonizing and and robbing us for the for all the land the rights to land and water and that was what the case uh, and the fight became about and after we of course uh, lost the battle hydroelectrical dam was uh, built but then the political case about the Sami was a little bit changed. Norway admitted then that, that 
uh, there needs to be the Sami rights needs to be solved, and they established then a Sami rights commission, which was working for 18 years. And then they came up with a proposal that uh, the Sami, Sami people in Norway need some kind of a parliament. So the result was that the Sami parliament was established. But the Sami parliament is, uh, is just a branch of the Norwegian, uh, Norwegian politic. The Sami parliament, which is called Samediki, in uh, Sami language is uh, also funded by the by the government of Norway. You say in the book, Nilas, that sure there's a parliament, but essentially the the government uses the parliament as a you know kind of consulting body before just doing what the government was going to do anyway. Do you still feel that way about it? Yeah, it's, I used to say it that way, that in, in the late 70s, the situation was very bad. But no, nowadays, it's 100 times the worst, because uh, now they are really moving in into the land of Sabmi and uh, with the hydro the windmills, which are, it's not uh, just the windmills themselves, but it's... Uh, the roads to the windmills and the power lines and everything connected to that. So that's a very huge, very, very huge uh, pollution and destruction of the Sami land. And it makes it very difficult for the reindeer herding to continue. And reindeer herding is the business of Sami, which is the most important for the Sami culture. It's where the Sami language is mostly alive and all this um, traditional knowledge connected to the reindeer herding is uh, very, very important for the culture to survive. Can I ask you, you were, um, in 1982, you were involved in an attempt um, to sabotage a bridge, and you were you ended up being injured in that attempt and were imprisoned, and then you fled to Canada, and I am greatly condensing a story, but the story is in the book, and I encourage people to read it. But when you uh, ended up in Canada, in Yellowknife, you were hosted there by other indigenous people. And I just want to mention one thing that I, you know, we haven't said in this show, which is that the, and feel free to correct anything I'm saying, but the Sami people are are white, and as a result, you are in a very rare position of being an indigenous people who 
look like the people who are the colonizers in most of the world. And so I'm just curious about, and you do talk about this in the book, but I'm curious about how the Sami people have built bridges to other indigenous people and kind of gotten past the barrier of physical appearance. There was a very great man from the from North America, which name of uh, George Manuel. He made an organization called uh, WCIP, World Council of Indigenous People. And uh, even if the, that organization doesn't exist anymore, then then uh, he made lots of uh, contact between different. Uh, uh, indigenous people from the different parts of the, of the world. And that's how we uh, came in, in touch with other indigenous people. And of course we are white, but we are, we doesn't look like the, the Norwegians. The Norwegians are much, much bigger than us. And they, uh, they of course also more, um, more, more simple minded people. It's maybe cruel to say that, but that's that's what it is. You mention in the book, as do other people who are interviewed in the book, that one real help in building those bridges was a a shared sense of spirituality and a shared sense of, I guess, reverence for the natural world that is shared by indigenous people the world over. So did that make it easier to build those connections? Of course, if if I shouldn't uh, have known about indigenous spirituality and indigenous uh, way of thinking, and it uh, should never been uh, possible for me to come to Canada and uh, and to be adopted by five different indigenous tribes there in Canada. And Gabriel, let me ask you as we draw to a close, can you talk? about the response to the book. I I wonder how many people have contacted you who might be like me for whom this was a completely new story. And then in Europe, where, as you said, people have at least some knowledge of the existence of the Sami people, what's the response been like there? It's difficult to say because uh, I think also with the internet today, I'm sometimes not even 100% sure where the feedback comes from that, that I get. Um, so I, I, it's a little difficult maybe to distinguish exactly between Europe and, and other parts. But but I would also say, quite frankly, that I think most of the response so far has come from North America, which might just have to do with the fact that the publisher is there. Um it's, I mean, it's, it's been very positive. I would say that there were certainly some people um, who sounded similar to you who felt that this was something completely new to them and eye-opening. I've also got feedback from people who are active in um, solidarity movements for indigenous peoples or uh, uh, indigenous people themselves who had some background knowledge on the Sami people but felt that the book provided um, quite a lot of extra knowledge, both historically and about the current situation. Uh, I feel, though, that generally, and I think that comes both with the topic and the publisher, uh, most interest has been in, to put it broadly, activist circles, more so than perhaps the, uh, the, the 
general uh, public. Um, but but no, I mean, I so far it's 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 been positive, and I feel that coming back to what I um, said about my main intention with the book, which was to help spread knowledge about um, a situation and the people that I think people should know about, I I feel so far that that purpose has has been fulfilled to a certain degree, at least. My guests for this show have been uh, Gabriel Kuhn, who's the author of the book Liberating Sapmi, Indigenous Resistance in Europe's Far North, and Nila Sombi, who was a direct part of the efforts to liberate Sapmi. Uh, gentlemen, it's been such a pleasure to talk to both of you. I know that in in 20 minutes, we didn't do this this story justice. And so I can't recommend enough to people that they uh, go to the PM Press website and purchase the book, which will be linked in the show notes of this show. Uh, so first of all, Nilas, thank you so much. It's an honor to talk to you. And I, I greatly appreciate that you told us some of your story. Thank you very much for letting me tell about my paper a little bit. And uh, Gabriel, thanks so much for writing this book, um, which at least for me was a complete eye-opener and for many people might just reinforce what they what they know. And uh, I will tell, I will, one thing I will say to folks is that um, in addition to interviews with activists, there are interviews with artists and musicians in here. And I have been introduced to lots of great music as a result of reading this book and then following the trails of uh, Sami musicians. So uh, as a person who's also intensely interested in music, there was a lot to dig into here as well. Uh, Gabriel, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and I thank you for your work on this book and uh, your work on other PM Press titles that I've also checked out. Well, thanks so much for having us on the program. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Brief Chat. You can support the show at patreon.com slash vanarchism. You'll get early access to every episode, a monthly bonus show, plus travel essays and photos and videos from my Vanarchism project, which chronicles my van travels across the U.S. Thank you, and I'll talk to you again next week. <laughs> <laughs>